Welcome to the 74th episode of the No Degree Podcast. Today's guest is Evan Patterson. Evan Patterson is a content and community evangelist at Troops. He got his start making social media posts for $50 when he was just 15 years old. He held a lot of random jobs. He worked as a bartender, sold insurance, sold furniture, and even worked as a server at Olive Garden when he was 19 years old. He held a lot more jobs too. He eventually broke into insurance and then broke into commercial insurance. He realized he was good at sales and he liked working with people. He also realized that he liked the startup environment more than he likes insurance. However, his story is more complex than that. He went through a lot of abuse and experienced the death of his friend when he was just 22 years old. He was diagnosed with CPTSD, which stands for Complex PTSD. It took him a lot of work to get through, but he learned to work through it. Listen to follow Evan's journey and learn how he navigated life. Visit nodegree.com to start your journey. Subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash nodegree. Every contribution is appreciated. This show wouldn't be possible without you. Let's get this show started. Welcome to another episode of the No Degree Podcast. Today I have Evan Patterson. Can you give a brief introduction of yourself? Sure thing. Uh, my name is Evan Patterson. You can call me Evan or Ev. I'm a content and community evangelist at Troops, amongst a host of other random side hustles. <laughs> nice, nice. So how'd you sort of get into that? Uh, by accident. Um, <laughs> uh, when it comes to like what I do um, in the current role, it stems from what I did in previous roles, which stems from what I used to do for fun back in high school, which is like writing things and creating communities and posting on social media. Nice. So what'd you want to be in high school? Uh, so I had, there were several career paths that I wanted to take that quickly turned out to not happen. <laughs> and I'm proud. Um, I wanted to, at first I wanted to be a roller coaster designer. Then I took physics and failed miserably. And then I wanted to be a chemist or a pharmacist, took chemistry, failed miserably. Um, and I wanted to be a software engineer and then took um, programming courses. And I was good, but I was bored. So yeah. I am not doing something that I wanted to do in high school. But I also didn't know that this existed in high school. So that's probably the why. Right. You know, I find that that happens for a lot of people, right? They see these things and you don't really get exposed to a lot of careers in high school. No. And especially sales, right? Sales, you have that, per, that common misconception that it's their only... You know, like a small amount of sales jobs, but you know the highest paying roles, right? They they tend to be in like the sales and some of these community jobs and all that. Yeah. So, what was the first job that you kind of had? Uh, when I was a teenager, um, it started off as a hobby where I was creating content for these gaming communities that I was creating or participating in for these virtual worlds. And after a while, there was these businesses that would run inside of virtual worlds, like Second Life, that were paying me in real dollars to post blog posts for them and to write content for them. So as a, at like 15, 16 years old, it'd be like, here's 50 bucks to write a LinkedIn, like a Facebook post or a Twitter post or something. That, that must have been a dream. But yeah, at 16, like you think 50 bucks is rich, right? So like, so like that's how I started toe dipping into it. I didn't get like a full like above the table job until like my late teens, like around like age 19. I was a host at an olive garden. <laughs> like, but like before that, it was just very random. What were some of the other random jobs that you had? Um, I've performed in bars. I've done, I sold furniture at Art Van Furniture before they went bankrupt. I've been a server uh, at Texas Roadhouse. Um, I 
was a host at Olive Garden. Uh, I've been a bartender in several places. I've been a cocktail server. I've been an insurance agent. I've been an SDR. Um, now I'm a content marketer. Um, I do a lot of influence marketing, so I do a lot of brand deals. I'm a consultant and advisor for other startups. What else have I done? There's a lot of random stuff. Yeah. You know something funny? So I was looking through your LinkedIn profile. I had Sunil on. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's a previous great. guest. Yeah, Sunil's great. So no, so it's amazing. You so you've obviously done a lot. What are some things you learned from all these random jobs? And if you want to pick a specific story, that would be cool. <laughs> yeah, I, I like talking about the the my journey within uh, like going from insurance to my current role because on paper it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but when I explain it, people go, "Oh, well, that makes total sense." Um, when I worked in insurance, it I I started off in like. Like regular like auto renters, home insurance stuff. And then I watched my coworker sell commercial insurance um, to businesses, uh, mostly small businesses. This is a local insurance agency. And I was intrigued by the conversations because the people really wanted to work with you, where when I was selling to like the average person, there was like a fight. Insurance is not a fun thing to sell. Like, like yeah, people are just jerks to you as an insurance agent. They think that you control the rates. And, like, I quite literally just work here. Like, that's the extent of my control. So um, so I realized, like, okay, maybe I just want to work with people that care about what I'm selling just as much as I care about what I'm selling. So that was my first realization that, like, B2B was going to be a route that I should look into. Um, and for a myriad of personal reasons, I wanted to move to Chicago. So my partner and I, he had a remote job. This is way before covid um, so I was like, well, I was the younger one and I was also the one that like didn't have a remote jobs. So I traveled back and forth looking for a job and I figured I had to find a job that was, um, adjacent to what I was doing is the only way to get a foot in the door at age like 24, but a college degree. So I took a job as an SDR at an insure tech startup, um, that sold B2B insurance. Um, and they have different verticals or target audiences that they went after depending on the product and unlike most businesses they have like one or two demographics where in insurance they typically have like a bunch of silos and with the one i was assigned to i was assigned to venture capital backed startups because they sold a product designed for that type of business and i i did i did very well and i enjoyed the conversations um and what I noticed was I was really excited to talk about these people's products, um, whether they were tangible products, whether they were software. I think people often forget that startups doesn't necessarily mean tech. It can mean T-shirts. It can mean food. It could like anything that's venture capital backed is a startup. Like so, so I remember um, just learning about all these different business models and all the go-to-market strategies of these like hyper-growth businesses. And I was in, excited about what they had to say more than I was about the product. That did not occur to me, though, until my next job, though. My next job, I was like, well, I was an insurance agent, and I sold insurance. And so this new company was selling marketing technology. One of their demographics was insurance agents. So I was like, well, I obviously love insurance, so this should be no easy. This should be no problem, because now I'm selling to the insurance person. I'm in the opposite direction. And I hated it. I quickly realized that I was, ex I was like, what am, why did I sign up for this? What was really the root reason? Um, like we already knew B2B was a new thing that I cared about, but I quickly realized I liked the software. I liked the startup more than I actually liked insurance. 
And in hindsight, that made sense because at Embroker, the company that I'm referring to, the insurance tech startup, I enjoyed talking to the customer more than I did about what I was talking about with the customer. So after um, Verse, the marketing technology startup, I was like, I should really make sure that my next job is with SaaS startups, selling to SaaS startups, or at least SaaS companies. Um, because clearly, it's not insurance, it's the B2B software component. So that's how I landed into this niche, so to speak, was like thinking I knew myself better than I really did. And then having things not go quite as planned and then asking myself really, like, why did it not go as planned? And it was usually because I had, like, a false sense of reality of myself. Um, and so that's kind of, like, how I've landed into this niche. And then as a BDR reprise, I realized I loved prospecting. I loved social selling stuff. But I realized what I liked the most about it was the creativity and the creation of content and, like, making assets and giving and making things that even I wasn't using but other people were using. I enjoyed that way more than the actual core root of the job itself. So that's why when Troops offered me the job, it was a no-brainer. Because now I'm still doing SaaS to SaaS, and we do things outside of SaaS as well. So I get to explore more things. I'm not limiting myself. But I also get to do the one thing I like about the job, which is creating stuff and giving it to other people to use, not just myself. No, that's amazing. I mean, creating content is fun. It's cool to see the reactions. It's cool to make people laugh. And it, it gets your creative juices flowing. Like, you're like, all right, seeing the full vision come together. Yeah. So, now, what were some of the hard points in your life? All right. And did you ever go to college for a little bit? I went to college for a very brief period of time. Um, I remember sitting in class looking at the syllabus of a marketing class. This is after, like, I was, I quickly realized I wasn't going to be an engineer. Like, I was not put on this planet <laughs> for that job. I'm content with that. Like, I was not put on, some people just aren't built for that, and I'm okay with that. Um, and I looked at the syllabus, and then, this is back when, like, LinkedIn was, like, just a job posting site. I remember looking at the job titles that were referenced in the syllabus, and I was like, nothing on these job descriptions is on the syllabus. And I remember, like, thinking, like, I'm calling BS. And this, like, got up and left. <laughs> like, I was done. I just remember getting so frustrated with the whole process of school because I learned more by doing. Where at school, I felt like I was just blindly going through the motions. Like, I was getting the grades, and but, like, I wasn't retaining anything. I was just merely passing tests. And I was like, this isn't for me. I'm, I'm done. <laughs> so I just, I was done. I just started committing to self-learning. When it came to, um, and it probably stems from being an online high school. I went to an online high school. So I had to teach myself almost everything. You I had know. online high schools? Yeah, uh, before, way before COVID. Uh, if you Google K12.com, the way it sounds, the letter K12, shout out to K12. I've met their CMO. They're fantastic. Um, but they are... Um, they create online education solutions for kindergarten through 12th grade. And at the time, they had a private school called the K-12 Academy or International Academy. I think they've since rebranded it. But um, my, my parents pulled me out of high school, um, physical high school, to put me in online high school because I was incredibly sick. And to your question about how I had a hard time, it was I was horrifically bullied. I grew up in a very small, conservative, racist, homophobic, misogynistic, the list goes on, small town. And um, in in the middle of like northern metro Detroit, so therefore, um, it was not exactly a great place for like this queer teenager. You know, no matter how like no matter how, like liberal or progressive my parents were, like they can't combat the BS that I was dealing with outside of the home. So 
especially because they themselves were straight. So, so they that was one thing that pulled me out. My health immediately improved because um, most of my illnesses at the time were um, the biggest driving factor is stress. Um, obviously, genetics still causes some things that you know being from home can't fix. But um, once I was able to do that, I was able to just to clear up my mind more and focus on the things that I enjoyed. And it's probably why I'm so headstrong now, because I got exposed to, like, as an adult, you get to pick who you associate yourself with. As a child, you actually don't get to, which I think is... And the thing is, you don't know how to deal with it. That's yeah. the other thing. Like, now you know how to deal with it. You're like, all right, I don't got time for you. I got my own thing going on. Yeah, which is completely stupid, in my opinion, because as a, as a child, you're the least equipped to be forced into social situations, but you spend the first 18 years of your life being forced into social situations. <laughs> it's counterproductive. Um, so being able to get a glimpse of adult life in the context of being able to pick and choose who I hung out with after school because I wasn't... I didn't have classmates. It was just me, my mom, and the cat. You know, my dad would be at work, my sister would be at the school or work. So um, I got to see what life was like when it came to like having control over my friendships more and putting in effort with people because I wanted to be with them versus I just have this math class with them. So um, having that at like age 15 was really empowering. Um, and that I think is why I'm so strong, like strong headed and stubborn now when it comes to relationships, because I saw the benefits of my physical and mental health so early. It, it, it was life changing for me at that age. No, I mean, it's I, I can imagine. I remember, look, I, I didn't have a tough time in high school, but there are certain situations that's like kind of tough to deal with. You're kind of growing up, um, you know, not. A lot of those relationships don't last, you know, friendships don't last. And it's like you're sort of confused on like, hey, I, you know, why can't people just be nice? So, no, that's that's very good to know. So how did you go about making friends? Uh, so th because I was in traditional brick and mortar public school for the majority of my life at that point, I just maintained the friendships from that. But I also um, really out my nerdiness here. Um, when I was um, in middle school and high school, I was a big into like show choir. I was a, a more of a dancer than a singer. I was, I'm always an adequate singer, not going to quit my day job. But I was a really good dancer. So um, I did show choir a lot. And there was this show choir camp at the community college in my in my town. And um, I remember in like fifth grade in elementary school, um, the teacher told me about it and like they were like like sponsoring kids to go um, because at that age you couldn't just sign up you had to be invited because you were like below average age I think you had to be like in sixth or seventh grade at the minimum um, without sponsorship so I went and I loved it so the next year I was able to go without sponsorship and um, so for like six years in a row my parents would like send me to this day camp that lasted a week um, at this college and I met a lot of other kids from other school districts in Metro Detroit. And, um, at show choir camp, you could, uh, you can assume like I wasn't the only queer kid. Right. So it was nice to like, it was the gayest experience of my life. It was the closest thing I got to a gay bar age 14. Right. So, uh, it was great. I, and then like, it was in a college. So the, 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 um, the college's choir program. So it was all the way from fifth grade to 12th grade, but the college's choir program, their members would be a part of the program themselves kind of acting like mentors in addition to these instructors. And they had great instructors from like Disney and Broadway and stuff as part of this. So like it was great to have them help out. 
Um, so I got to see what life was like. Like I met so many other queer people, especially gay men that were like, I was 14 and they were maybe like 22. So I kind of got like a glimpse of like what life can be like, um, after high school, um, through them, you know? Um, so that was super life-changing for me, but that's also how I met some amazing people. My best friend who, she passed away when I was 22 and she was 20, but we both met when I was like 15 and she was 13 at the choir camp. And, um, you know, without that, we never would have met. And she was the most important person. And probably to this day still is one of the most important people in my life. How was if, and you don't have to answer this. How was it losing someone that early? Right. It was intense. Cause usually when you hear about someone in their like late teens, twenties dying, you think of like an awful tragic accident. Right. And yeah. she was relatively healthy. Um, you're run of the mill, like teenager from the suburbs, like, Loved singing, loved dancing. She loved video games. She loved traveling. She loved amusement parks. She loved Taco Bell probably way too much. Um, I love Taco Bell way too much. <laughs> I just had it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I can't eat it as much because, you know, you gotta be healthy and stuff. I'm getting old, so yeah. <laughs> so, but, like, when she... There was, like, one summer, um, she was getting, like, really random rashes and bruises, and... Um, her skin started turning yellow and they thought that she was developing some sort of like jaundice related issue. And she just kept getting tested and tested and tested. And then they once thought she had like lymphoma or skin cancer. She thought they had like, they kept going through this long list of things trying to figure out what was wrong with her for an entire year. I just remember her being in and out of the ICU. Um, she like, she graduated high school. And then like the next week she started being in and out of the ICU for like a whole year. And then she got diagnosed with HLH. I can't pronounce what the acronym stands for, but it's an incredibly rare disease that usually it's like infants get it usually. So there's not a whole lot of data for like anybody over infant age getting it. The mortality rates like way above 95%. It's, it's pretty much a death sentence. And so when a year passed of them trying to figure it out. And then she had a year where she like had bone marrow transplants and her body rejected them twice. She got graft versus host disease. She, um, in the last six months of her life, she got paralyzed from like the chest down and she was turning to, she was turning a tire for the better. It was just like, she was just going to live life paralyzed from like from here down. Um, and then I just remember like, it was like the end of September or like early October and getting a call saying, Hey, you should come see Ashlyn. Uh, from her mom, Kathy. And I was living like an hour away at the time. I just moved out my parents' house. So I, I drove and I saw her a few times at her house. And without being told your friends in hospice, but being able to tell your friends in hospice because there's a hospice care truck in the driveway um, of your friend's house was quite traumatic. Um, this is the same woman who, like when I was her age, because there was like a two-year two year age gap, I was dealing with sexual assault and i was dealing with a very abusive relationship um and a very dangerous work environment at the time um so i was just still getting over that phase of my life because she was the woman who actually got me out of that situation so to see the person that helped me be someone that i couldn't help back um dying like they, they got the only person I've ever met who's been accepted to the same college three times in a row about ever att attending because they kept having to put off college um, it was just awful. So being told like on Halloween that like your friend's not going to make it the Christmas and then on Thanksgiving day, she died. Um, it just, it reminded me how short life was and how fragile it can be. And 
what it did was make me more careful and cautious and conscientious about every single move I made in my life in a good way. Um, I have a very high, and some people call it often unrealistic standard for people. Um, and I, and quite frankly, I don't care if that upsets or offends people because it's never caused me any harm ever. Um, having this seemingly impossible bar that I'm sorry, but in my personal life, everyone in my personal life meets it. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. that's all like, that matters. Yeah. So I, I have better relationships. Um, I have better like work relationships too. It's not just in my personal life or romantic life and just like living life selfishly, but in the context of in a good type of selfish I'm loving myself yeah. first in order to love other people. Those are just like the things I picked up from her and you know, tying that back to my career decisions, it makes it me even more proud that like I didn't go to college because I didn't want to. Um, and I do not give a rat's ass what anybody else thinks about that. <laughs> like, no, you know, I having mean, I... her die, unfortunately, taught me not to care. In yeah, the best no, way. I, I love that attitude because it's something a lot of people need to learn that some you got to take care of yourself first. And if because if you don't, then you can't offer the best version of yourself to others. And that's what a lot of people don't seem to get, right? Sometimes you got to make sure your your cup is full before you're kind of giving people part of your cup. Now, mm-hmm. what would you, so that you learned a lot from that experience is, what were some of the mistakes you made on earlier in your life that you kind of look back and it's like, hey, that was something I'll, I'll be more wary of going forward? Yeah, in the context of my career, like I thought I had to love sales. I thought I had to love closing deals to be good at sales. I hate the bottom of funnel in sales. The first half in sales, I love. I, I will talk for hours about it. Um, but like once, like it's, I'll use insurance as an example. Once I give the person the quote, I have no interest. <laughs> I am like, if I ever never telling my boss, like if I could just get paid to give quotes and to grab attention of people to give the quote, like I'd love it. Like I don't care if they make the sale. Um, and my boss, like, there's an entire career called biz dev and sales dev. <laughs> that is that is exactly what you would be doing. Um, but like, I uh, if it wasn't for him, like, I kept trying to shoehorn myself. Like, I have to be this full cycle salesperson. I have to be good at every single part of sales, even the stuff I don't like. I remember being told as a kid, like, sometimes there are going to be things in your job you don't like that you just have to do. Now, while that is still true, if that is the majority of your job, it's a good time to leave that job. Yeah, it's a problem. Yeah. And then I also, um, so like, so like that was like the first mistake was trying to shoehorn myself. And then the second mistake was, um, not moving to Chicago sooner. Um, if I can name my hometown without the risk of getting sued in this video, I totally would, but F all of you, um, <laughs> in that town, except my parents love you all. Um, and then, so that was the other mistake. And then I guess like the third mistake was in my personal life, like I'm very, very open about being like gay as heck. And I'm also very polyamorous and trying to shoehorn myself into like heteronormative standards. Um, it had this weird like ping ponging effect between my personal life and my work life. Cause I would go to work dreading my personal life. Then I would go home dreading my work life because I was drained from having an unhappy personal life. Yeah. yeah so yeah. those are like the three core mistakes that I've made in my early, like late teens, early twenties. Now, and how did you sort of learn that about yourself? Like, where did you sort of get exposed? Because a lot of people are not sort of exposed to these ideas, right? They're kind of exposed to ideas that are so-called normal. And then when you're not normal, you have this struggle like, hey, what's wrong with me? Why am I not happy? Other people are happy. So how did you sort of learn about these things? 
it, it's kind of a, 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 a just like a series of unfortunate yet fortunate events, you know, um, being like physically attacked regularly in school by teachers and by students um, really like create a lot of like turmoil in my mind, obviously. And then leaving a traumatic period of my life, you know, thinking things were getting better if online school to enter, like I was in sex trafficking and I was being abused and stuff was like round two. Right. And then when my best friend died, it was like round three. So I was like, what, what I keep repeating this cycle of getting sucked into these awful scenarios. And even though they weren't my fault, I was like, I've got to figure out how to at least minimize the chances of these things happening and or get better at dealing with them. So I was I was diagnosed with PTSD and um, CPTSD, which is complex PTSD, meaning a series of traumatic episodes, not just one traumatic episode. And um, part of therapy for PTSD, um, for most people, not for everybody, depends on experiences, is usually asking yourself, like, not just what are you feeling, but what is really the reason you feel this way? And then asking yourself again, now, why is that the reason? What is the reason for the reason? Um, usually that's the answer that helps you figure out what to do. Um, I had a very good therapist that taught me that you should not try to control your emotions. You should try to listen to them because they're just your body's way of telling you what you need. Um, it's probably why I'm really good at being polyamorous because I use jealousy as an indicator of what I need versus a let's start fighting. Like, so usually problem solved of two sentences. So I would ask myself, like, well, why am I actually angry? Why am I actually scared? Uh, why am I actually unhappy? And then why is that the reason for that? Like, why was that the answer? And then I would just act on that information. And that's how I discovered these things. Combine that with being gay, like, once you've derailed from society's norms, there's no chance of re-railing. Like, so you might as well build your own track. Like, there's no option. Like, you don't, you either, you derail and you go into the ditch or you just move to a different line. Like, pick one. Like, you have no options. <laughs> so, yeah, that helped. <laughs> no, I mean, thank you so much because it's something that so many people struggle with. And sometimes you just have to hear about other people's experiences to understand that, okay, hey, life can be different. It can be better. And you can have both a professional and personal life that's both filling, right? A lot of people think that it has to be one or the other. Now, looking back, what would you say you're most proud of? I think you're just the most proud of the, um, just like how far I've come. Like, I don't recognize pictures of me 10 years ago, but um, uh, both physically and mentally even. Um I hang, hung around some of the worst human beings on the planet. Um, I used to party and not in the good way, you know, way more than anybody ever should sustainably. Um, I had a horrific relationship with my parents. Like, it, it, it was good for the longest time, then they went you know, really bad. Now, I'm a total novice boy now. My parents and I get along great. But um, and I was just very unhappy. I was very unhealthy. Um, I had a lot of very unhealthy behaviors. I had no idea what I wanted to do. I remember sitting in the car on the way to a job that I hated and thinking like, well, this is just going to be my life and I'm just going to have to learn to get used to it. And then like five seconds after going, what the hell? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. And I said it to myself. <laughs> so like, and just 
I don't know. It just, it, this is a very dark time, and I'm just very proud that, like, I have never even come close to 10% of that since. It, it, I'm just glad. So let's kind of take it back to work. Like, what do you do at work? Like, what are the kind of things and what are the skills that would help someone sort of get involved in the type of work that you do? Yeah, so at Troops, my job title is Content and Community Evangelist, which is a bizarre job title. That's literally what it is in my tax forms. It, it, it's not the made-up job title. Um, but as a content community manager, the role is broken up into several different buckets. You know, the community side is more social media. I'm creating more of a community following. I'm helping engage people. I'm driving engagement. Uh, right now, I'm working on an influencer and ambassador marketing program that will be rolling out because um, I'm a firm believer in everything B2C comes to B2B eventually. And right now, that's what's happening. So... Um, that's one big chunk of my role. Another part of my role is the content side, which is your run of the mill, what you know about a content marketer role, right? Like I'm writing the blog posts, I'm creating the assets. I'm working with the freelancers for the, for the other types of artwork that I don't either don't have the time or the skills to do, right? I'm doing the podcast. I'm creating, I'm editing the videos. I'm creating the content that gets used for the other teams at the company, not just for new, not for new customers, but for existing customers. Um, and as a former SDR and BDR that did very well with social selling, like I often coach our BDR and our salespeople on how to like use social selling strategies. I do that for other businesses as well. Um, so with now the way I got into that though, was like, I loved writing. I've always loved writing. I've always hated reading, which I know is confusing to a lot of people. I'm not a reader. I'm a writer. No, I mean, um, they're different things. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a watcher actually. Like I love a good YouTube video yeah, way yeah. more than a book. I, I will I will purposely wait for the movie. What about what about audiobooks? <laughs> I, I gotta have a video. Like podcast, every podcast I've ever consumed had a video attached to it. Uh, like I, no, I can't I mean, look, get myself to just listen. I need to see. No, it's, you know what? Everybody's different and it's good. Like for yeah. me, it's like I don't mind reading. It's just more of like the time. And I'm I love podcasts, but it's it, it's cool. Like it's cool to sort of figure that out because once you figure it out, you're like, okay, cool. This is yeah, how I learn. I just leaned into that stuff though, right? Like I leaned into the things I liked. They were hobbies of mine, but I made sure that like, as I was younger, they were in public by accident, right? I just, I was obsessed with social media. I was born in 1994. So I grew up with social media. Um, and I loved building websites and I loved it. Like, and it wasn't because of the building part. It was the way I used the website. It was the purpose of the site. Did not know that back then, but now I do. Um, I, loved just like I was in I was always in awe of like advertising. I remember watching TV ads and like I could tell you if an ad was good or bad and like I, like as a teenager and grown adults working in advertising agreed with me. So because I always like I don't remember that. Or remember Quiznos had those awful commercials with those really weird rodents. And I just remember going like, well yeah, the ad objectively doesn't really sell you anything but it was rememberable and that was the whole point of the ad was to be remembered it wasn't to make sense it was to be remembered and i remember like being 12 and being asked like why the hell does coke have ads and i was like because they're just reminding you that, that they exist and if they didn't you would eventually forget and there's seven billion people in the world i'm i assure you there's probably still some people that have never you heard know of what's, coke. In what's interesting <laughs> i think coke did a study and when they stopped advertising in regions, sales went down. So, you know, it's kind of, it's crazy that you think like, hey, everybody knows Coke, but it's like, you know. Well, like, we know are... Taco Bell, right? But yeah. like, if you see an ad for Taco Bell, how many times have you be like, well, that sounds good. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? it's, it, you, you, we know it exists. We're just more likely to buy with that reminder. Well, one thing about Taco Bell, I'm going <laughs> to tell you, 
Taco Bell is like the most genius at like having like, let's say like five to 10 ingredients. And they just like <laughs> literally, they literally rotate it. So they're like, hey, this taco, we'll put a bread in it. Or like this thing will rotate it. And it's like a different meal. Like for example, we'll I think we'll just, reverse it, the we'll just flip it. We'll add some tomatoes, call it Supreme. <laughs> I mean, it's funny. We'll be I, stupid and pay three bucks more for it. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, look, they get me. And then like, the new thing with the chicken strips. I remember they had the chicken strips before and it was like, that was the hottest thing. And then they silently got rid of it. They said it was sold out and they got rid of it. But I just laugh at, at like Taco Bell. It's just like, whoever is in it, they just find a way to make something like a new box. And it's like, dude, that's the same thing. You just added like cheese on the outside. Right? Or something. Instead of the inside, you put it on the outside. So that's my Taco Bell rant. Well, I used to talk about these things online and then I would write them because like, this is before podcasts were easy. I used to work at online radio. It's another job I did. I did online radio. <laughs> so, but like I would talk about these things and I think that was like when the light bulb started to go on. Like I get this stuff like naturally without the formal education. Um, and I quickly realized the reason I get it is just because I understand people. Like I think I, I'm real, there's a lot of things I'm bad at. You know, as we've discussed already. But one of the things I think I'm definitively good at is like I'm very charismatic and I do understand body language and people pretty instinctively and naturally. So um, I can make friends pretty much anywhere I go. So with that in mind, that's a really good way to understand how advertising works. And I say advertising, I don't mean marketing. I mean specifically advertising, which is a really good skill set to have as a content marketer. So if you're trying to move into content marketing, you can be lackluster in the technical skills. As we all know, you can learn the technical skills later. What really gets you the job, and you can ask my boss, Danny, this, is your understanding of like psychology and how people operate and function and why anybody would even care about the product and how to make that known, which is, and we don't mean, when I say how, I don't mean like what levers to pull and which tool. I mean like just... How how would you sell this to somebody? You may not have to actually sell the product yourself, but if you can speak about it the way a salesperson would, you can pretty much write about it too. So the more you can demonstrate that in public, the keywords are in public, not just at your current place of work, but elsewhere. Because, and you can demonstrate like your writing abilities, demonstrate some technical skills if you have them or get them. It's kind of like building in public, but instead of building, you're growing you're not really building anything other than your skill set. So, like, start working on that portfolio. Start doing some free stuff. Um, like, start writing posts on LinkedIn. Treat your personal brand like a side job with no paycheck. Like, just seriously, that is how it helped. For the, I had made no money on LinkedIn as, a, as an influencer for the first year. Like, I made not a penny. And now I pay rent off of it. But I did it because if I didn't do that, I would not be able to be a marketer. Scott never would have said, hey, come work here and talk to Danny about working here if I never posted on LinkedIn. So like, yeah, it's, it's fine. And you niche, bring up a great point. Not your niche in public. <laughs> yeah, And you bring up a great point. It's like one of those things that doesn't pay anything, but you get these random paychecks, basically, when you do that. You get these random opportunities that come up and you're like, and it's all coincidence. You're like, okay, yeah, you know, I've been following you for a while. I love this post. Let's talk about some things. And it's something that I would recommend, especially if you have that skill set. It, it It's really life-changing, right? That I think yeah. that's how someone, I forgot how we met. Someone recommended you to me. Yes, I, I somebody, <laughs> somebody, I always forget. Um, 
I think it was James Barry. If I'm wrong, I'm yeah, so sorry. You know, well, no, it is James Barry. So you know, it's funny. Like you know, James, I'm always helping. He's always helping Stop me. I'm supporting me. I'm support. Is it James? And it's funny that when I looked at your profile, I was like, you know, Sunil. That's funny because I was like, Kenya, that's Sunil stuff. And I was like, oh, so it, it just crazed me how how funny that like I met you through James. I yeah. met Sunil. I forgot why I met Sunil. I met Sunil. Someone was like, hey, this guy, you should... Or he messaged me like, hey, I yeah. love what you're doing. And I was like, hey, come on my podcast. And now I'm going to have his co-founder on. And yeah. you know, we're going to sort of work something out because he has the sales boot camp. And it's just... Again, it's just like random content posting that yeah. I met James it's Barry. Proof. It's just proof of what we just said. Like, I posted on LinkedIn a lot. And I talked... At the beginning, I talked... I always talked about diversity. But back then, I talked about almost exclusively diversity. And um, Will Alred and William Balance, I'm so sorry, Will, if I'm butchering your name. I call him Will A and Will B over at Lavender. Um, they asked me if I would like talk to them about their tool because I was using it and I had some feedback about the way the tool gauged gender in writing. Yeah, yeah. And they were like, mm, Evan talks about gender a lot, so let's, and he uses our tool a lot, so let's talk to him. So I was free. I sat there for an hour talking to them and their product team about my thoughts on the tool. And then... Will A, particularly, Will B, too, but Will A is very active on LinkedIn. Um, Will B is more of a lurker. Correct me if I'm wrong, Will B, if you hear this. But um, he saw my content over and over and over again. We've done some collabs. I'm friends with Christina Finstuff, which is somebody he works with quite regularly. Um, and so never once sent me any money for this stuff, right? But just, like, randomly, I got a DM with Will A introducing Sunil to me in a three-way DM going... Hey, Evan, Sunil's talking about this project. I recommended you for it. Uh, I think you should talk to him about it. I think it'd be a good side hustle for you. And then now here I am. I work for Sunil at Trainio as a side hustle. <laughs> like, and it's so like that's more proof that like these this stuff comes randomly. Um, you'll get it like once a quarter, and then after a while, you'll get it once a week, and then it'll go to and from, right? And I could really operationalize this if I wanted to, but and it's totally up to the person, but like you'll get these random things that will happen. The only way you get them though is if you do some things for free. And it's not even really for free. Brand capital is a paycheck. No, it is. It is. It's something like, that I'm not a lot of paid to do this, but this the paycheck's my brand capital. Yeah. No. It's it's something that you know what I found. I found that people who don't really understand relationships on a deeper level, they don't tend to get it. They're like, well, I'm doing work. I'm not getting paid for it. Why would I do it? And they just can't see. They just can't see past it. And they don't see that sometimes that person may not pay you. Maybe it comes in another way and you just really can't predict it because that's happened to me. And it's like, it's not formulaic. Yes, you can oper operationalize it. But again, you're still going to have the random comebacks. Like I, I remember like I helped this random person because I helped this random person. This other person heard of it. And then that the money came from that person. And it's like, you know, and the beauty is like you help this one person who's a fan of you. You help this other person who paid you. You get a referral from this other person. And that's just how these things work. So that's good to know. Now, how do how did you become better at writing? Practice. Um, yeah, just a lot of practice. Um, I was always that kid in school that like, you know, you would get like the rough like assignments, like a rough draft one, rough draft two, and then the final copy. I would never hand in the first rough drafts. I would just send in the final copy <laughs> and I would write it the night before. <laughs> and um, because I'm somebody that and my boss will cringes at this, but I write everything in one go. And then like I send it to him and he tweaks it and stuff. But like I'm not like a write in stages kind of a person. Like 
I don't chip away at the marble block. I am a, I have to sit down and take a swing at this from start to finish. I can't pick up where I've left off. That's why I can't write a book. Um, so, cause that would be really unrealistic. So, um, just knowing that about myself made when I practiced better and more efficient. Um, so like writing, um, I, I just, I always enjoyed the writing. I also think I cared more about what I was writing about. Like you handed me a book report. I would probably rip my hair out. Um, and also fun fact, I've only read one book in my entire life from cover to cover. Um, it was Graves and by Elaine Mercado, uh, a book that no one's heard of. I guarantee you that that's what listening to this. <laughs> so it's, it's really good, but, um, I've never read a book, even in school, never read a book. I refused. Um, I actually got in trouble in first grade. I was a kindergarten or first grade. They pulled me out of my normal, like, classroom and told my parents I didn't know how to read. And, like, they had to put me in this, like, special education reading class. And then this teacher who was about my current age, in her, like, mid to late 20s, was like, Evan, what books do you want to read? Like, she was, she was keen to figure this out. And I went to the library with her in the school and picked out almanacs. And I was like, I want to read these things. And they were like, why do you want to read these? And I remember straight face telling a grown adult at age six or seven, I just don't care about a talking monkey. Why am I reading about Curious George when I can read about the famine in sub-Saharan Africa and learn something useful? Like, like what? Just, so therefore, um, I've always just been a picky reader. So therefore, when it came to writing, I just, I just like learned how to write things that I needed to to pass the class. And then I would also write things I cared about as a hobby as part of, like, I made guilds for video games and stuff, right? So, um, and I got really good at conveying thought and speech in, a, in text because I always was worried about how can I write this in a way that minimizes or completely eliminates the chances of someone misinterpreting this? Um, and then as an SDR or a BDR, you get an F-ton of practice writing, and you, it's also, you have time, it's time sensitive too. So you get really good at writing, but you also get really good at writing efficiently, which allows you to like churn content out at scale. So if it wasn't for being like a salesperson or an SDR or being responsible for filming on pipeline as an insurance agent, um, it would have been a lot harder for me to get as good as I am now. Um, because I had no choice but to be good and to be good and quickly. So that all helped. That's a cool experience. Was there ever a time the lack of a college degree sort of held you back or you were able to like just own it and get past it? Yeah, it, it, it did help me back in a few situations. It was I have been very fortunate to work in roles and in an industry where the college degree isn't necessarily required to get the job, but it was required to get the interview. And it was more just like a way to weed it people out, especially like larger companies where like they're getting like thousands of applications for this like three roles, right? They have to, I get it. You have to weed people out somehow because you do not have the time to go through a thousand resumes. I get it. Like I'm not offended, but I just don't like some of the ways they go about weeding people out. Like, especially like for a sales or a marketing role, like you want a brain surgeon, please have a degree. But, like, please don't build a building without a degree. Please don't do that. But, like, sales, most engineering jobs even, you can learn all this stuff on your own. Um, so I was like, well, there's no way I'm going to lie about my degree. <laughs> like, that's not going to happen. So what I did was um, leaned into what I was good at. I, I threw everything I knew about a resume kind of out the window. 
and but it creating like a portfolio. Um, and I would leverage my social media more um, as a way to prove like, hey, I don't have the formal education, but I'm good, if not better than the people who do, because they spent four years learning and two years doing. I spent six years doing. So, so you know, there's a good chance I'm better than them. So, um, and then there's the alternative of just, I'm really loud and obnoxious. If you take the Meyer-Briggs personality type test, I am a 99% extrovert on that test. So um, just good old fashioned networking and making people like me, you can, I don't think, I haven't applied for a job in Lord knows how long. It's always been like referral. So like in the last couple of years, um, I don't see myself filling out a job application anytime soon, if not ever again. Um, so that if you don't have a college degree, networking is your number one tool. No, I mean, networking just leads to so many opportunities because they sort of like you. They like something about you. They like what you bring. So you don't need to check the boxes the same way that someone who's not networking needs to check. Now, what are the salary ranges like? Like, what does an SDR or BDR make? Like, what's realistic? They don't make enough. <laughs> they don't make enough. Um, when I was at... Um, I was at my previous companies, my OTEs were always like, OTE, for anybody who does not know who's listening, it's your base pay, so your salary, your hourly rate, plus your variable compensation based off performance, which is usually like in the form of commissions or bonuses or flat rate spiffs. Um, I could go on for hours about the way they work, but my OTE was typically um, like in that 75 to 90K range. Um, the base salaries were usually in that 40 to 55K range. Um and as a content marketer, um, I do make more than that. My my for for perspective, my base is higher than my OTE was as a BDR SDR. So there is a lot of potential to move towards marketing as a BDR SDR and also get a pay raise. I think a lot of people when they're SDRs and BDRs, um, a lot of them want to work in sales. Like it's statistically true historically that most SDRs want to become AEs or sales reps or. Um, and I think the second most common might be like sales dev leaders and managers. But the third most common is in growing, I think, and it, it wouldn't shock me if it became the second most, is marketing as another route. Because of nowadays, the skill set they're looking for is more marketing-esque and less sales-esque, even if they don't want to admit it. I'm sorry, but writing emails is not a sales skill. It's a BDR skill. It's a marketing skill. Calm down, people that write those sales books. Um, you're just wrong. Um, <laughs> so I, um, I, I like to remind them like you sales, you, you'll make, you will definitively make less than most AEs. That is a fact that, that, that is the truth. But, um, marketing roles usually allow you a lot more freedom for side hustles because salespeople typically have to work way more hours. So like I may make 40% less, but I'll probably also have 40% more free time. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like, a good trade off. Yeah, right? So, like, I like that, right? I, I know people that are AEs, they're making two hundred fifty, three hundred thousand dollars $300,000 in one job, but they're working 60, 70 hours a week and they're miserable. I'm like, but I can work 40 hours a week and make proportionately that much less and still have energy to spend the money and also potentially explore side hustles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, uh, that's, that's very good to know. So, what would you tell like a high schooler now, like who's trying to sort of do what you do? What would you tell them to start doing at, you know, like the 16 to 18 years old? Yeah, start writing more, um, create content on social media. I don't care what it's about. It, it, you shouldn't care either, really. 
just as long as it's true and authentic to who you are. I don't care if you're on LinkedIn talking about your Taco Bell order the way we just did. Like, just the more you can practice writing these things and the more you can practice being your authentic self, uh, the better. It's probably a little too young for, and early for most people to start taking on those gigs where you're writing in someone else's voice, which is a crucial skill as a content marketer. I have to know when to write like Evan and when to know when to write like Troops. I also have to know when to blend them and how much to blend them, you know? So, like, that's, that's like the 102 course, but focus on the 101, which is just getting comfortable with being on that soapbox. And I'm going to age myself for that statement. Getting comfortable with being in front of large groups of people, um, both digitally and in person. Start that now. Get over your digital stage fright. It is way easier said than done. Um, you know, no one in this world is imposter syndrome free. We all have our moments, but like, just, just get really good at dealing with it versus trying to prevent it because you will, with practice, it will happen less. It, there's really no magic sauce to it. You just kind of have to do it, you know? So like, just start that now, um, and get really good at taking feedback. It's kind of like being an artist first and foremost, like the feedback will hurt, um, and if you're anything like me at first, it'll feel like an attack and an insult, you know, but like just practice understanding that most people, contrary to popular belief, really do just want to help you. They really do just want you to be better at what you do, especially when you're a teenager. Um, and then you'll also get better at understanding what is good feedback and what is bad feedback. So like listen to it, but understand that no one, including yourself, is the end all tell all be all. I know that was a lot for a 16 year old to take in, but like that's the high level of what I wish I kind of knew. Yeah. No, I mean, look, it's they can rewind it and listen to it again. Yes. Write it down. Don't worry. We're, we're going to have transcripts oh, get a, available. Get a LinkedIn account, too. It's not oh, true. That makes big... You have to be 13, I believe. I, correct me if I'm wrong. LinkedIn, don't sue me. But like, maybe 16. I, I, I think 16. But either way, yeah. it's good. You can observe. The minute you're you old should... enough, get a LinkedIn account. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And observe, right? So now, what were so, you said you watched a lot of video. Did you watch YouTube? What were some videos that you sort of recommend would kind of really help people with their content marketing? Any channels that you'd recommend they watch? So this is going to be shocking. I don't watch any content about content marketing. Um, yeah, yeah. I, oh, it makes sense. You learn content marketing through people who do it well. Yeah. So for me, when I can, I watch a lot of YouTube. I have YouTube premium. It gets a godsend, by the way. I can't live without that thing. Um, so I, I don't have cable, like most 20 and 30 year olds nowadays. Uh, but I probably consume five hours a day of YouTube. It's probably an osmosis in the background, typically. But the way I've learned through YouTube is, like I mentioned earlier, everything in B2C comes to B2B eventually. So I love video games. I'm going to be even nerdier. So I watch a lot of Let's Plays. And I'll watch these Let's Plays and... There's a lot of YouTubers that are making ad revenue, right? They're have a following, right? They're doing some influencer deals. They might pitch something really quick in the middle of it. There might be a logo in the corner they're getting paid to have there, right? Same thing with Twitch streams, right? That I was watching it for the entertainment value, but I was not ignoring the fact that this person had a genius marketing strategy going on at the same time. And I would ask, like, how can I translate this to B2B tech? So I would do that. Um, I love money. I'm a total money nerd. My favorite YouTube channel of all time is The Financial Diet. Um, it is They mostly target millennial women, but um, as a gay man, um, I just love anything that's not targeted towards cisgender straight white men. No offense. Um, so, therefore... No, nope, look, there's no offense taken. And if someone yeah, takes if offense, then that's your fault. This, that's a you problem. Um, 
But like, I loved it because it's it's not like Dave Ramsey where it's unrealistic advice. Like it's targeted towards actual people. It's not about how to spend less. It's about how to spend more thoughtfully, right? Like it's practical advice. And they give a lot of career advice that has benefited me greatly. Now, granted, that's not why I love it half the time. The other reason I love it is because Chelsea Fagan, who I would love to meet one day, she's the one of the co-founders of The Financial Diet. Yes, um, so I'll, keep, I'll keep that in mind. Yeah, she is um, fantastic, and her business is fantastic at marketing themselves. Um, I'm in awe of the way they do their branding and the way that they have influencer marketing strategies and brand deals just so effortlessly without it feeling tacky or forced. Um, as a as a viewer, every time they show me something, nine times out of ten, I appreciate the fact and love it. I have bought several products, actually, that are some of the best purchases I've ever made in my entire life because of them. Um, so, therefore, their marketing strategies do work because they worked on me and they work on a lot of people I know. So, I like to take a lot of their ideas and translate it to B2B SaaS. So, like, if you if you are somebody who wants to work in these things, you don't have to necessarily watch videos about these things. Just start paying attention to these things and the stuff you already watch. That's really the key takeaway here. Yeah, you know, that's one of the ways I, I learned copywriting, right? You look at how people who write good posts and you kind of think of, like, why is this a good post? And, yeah, once in a while you read about, cop you read about copywriting about copywriting, but you kind of look at it, you kind of see it in action, you're like, okay, this guy's hooking me, this guy's doing that story, he's using the hero's journey, they're using XYZ, and then you kind of see it in practice, and then you kind of think of, like, hey, how can I apply this? Like, what can I do? How can I put my own twist on it? And then that's when you really learn, right? When you can put your own twist on it and you can and you can see, wow, all right, it, it is sort of engaging. So let's slowly start to wrap up. What's sort of in the future for you? I am really focused right now on two major components. Um, the first priority is with troops, just trying to, like, it's my first time having a full-time marketing role, right? So I am... It, it's coming up on the end of month three, and I've been loving it. It's been a wild, crazy journey. Um, it, a lot of crying. <laughs> Not troops, it's fault. It's a self-inflicted wound. I'm a cancer. It's obvious. Um, but um, it's just like, I just want to keep getting better at this. I did sales dev and biz dev for so long. I'm just really in this like, obsessing over how do I be the best at what I do? How do I find what I love? How do I find what I don't love? You know, it's been nice to tell Danny, like, listen, like, I love that I'm I'm good at this, but I think we could hire somebody who's great at this to take this over. Also, this thing that this person's doing, they're good at it, but I'm great at it. I'll take that on. It's nice to learn these things about myself. I'm getting really good at, like, project management, which as a BDR, SDR, you really don't get a lot of practice with project management. You get a lot of, like, task management, which isn't quite the same thing because a task takes you a few minutes versus days, right? So, um... I'm just really focused on that. Um, and then outside of troops, it's the side hustles that I've got. Um, I'm trying to get more like advisor roles. I'm trying to get more proof of the the work that my advising has done for people, like the benefits of it, and just keep growing my brand on LinkedIn. Um, not even necessarily because of the money, which it's nice, but I thoroughly enjoy it. Um I love troops. Don't get me wrong. I love any company I've done marketing for, um, both freelancing or full time. But sometimes it's just really nice to do marketing for yourself and be the Evan show. Yeah, yeah. No, you I, know, I, I know exactly what you mean, right? I've been super active on LinkedIn. I used to spend like twenty 
to 30 hours a week on the phone, but now I've been, and then plus the desktop, but now I spend a little more time on Twitter. So I spend I, about know, 45 to 55 hours a week on LinkedIn. Yeah, yeah. So I think the with the desktop, I, you know, I, I, I definitely almost hit that. I used to hit that a lot more, but, you know, trying to split my time between just, you know, the actual work stuff that needs to get done too, right? <laughs> I mean, so, for me, LinkedIn is my actual work stuff. Yeah, yeah. No, but, yeah, it is for me sense. too, but, you know, there are some aspects like the meetings <laughs> yeah. and this, the podcast this, and all the yeah. stuff, <laughs> right? But it's fun. It's fun. It's, it's cool. So anything, you know, before we kind of close, anything that you kind of want to talk about that you didn't get to talk about? Uh, I guess like nothing really just other than just reminding people like the best marketing strategy is to be yourself. And if you're bringing you to this, just hit post. I know that sounds stupid, but like my best content, I can tell you most of my viral content was the stuff I wrote in two minutes in a rush without thinking. That, I mean, look, you don't I'm, have to over-engineer it. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, look, you, you learn a lot. You get better at it over time. So how would people follow you? How would people support you? Yeah, all you have to do is following Evan Patterson on LinkedIn, Twitter, or Instagram. And if you're really lazy like me, you can just type in linktree forward slash Evan Patterson. That's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash Evan Patterson. It'll show you all of my content and all the places I work and also all my social handles. All right, don't worry. We'll put it in the show notes. So if you didn't catch that, it'll be in the show notes. Thank you so much for your time, Evan. This was such a cool episode. I know it will inspire a lot of people. Enjoy your week. Good luck in your future. I really look forward to your content. Of course. Thank you so much. Take care. Another great episode. Thank you for listening. Hopefully this information was valuable and you learned a lot. Stay tuned for the next episode. This show is sponsored by you. No Degree wants to remain free from influence so that we can talk about the topics without bias. If you think the show is worth a dollar or two, please check out our Patreon page. Any amount is appreciated and will go towards making future episodes even better. Follow us on Instagram or Snapchat at No Degree Podcast, on Facebook at facebook.com slash no degree inc. If you want to personally reach out to me, connect or follow me on LinkedIn at Janaid Iqbal, spelled J-O-N-A-E-D, last name I-Q-B-A-L. Until next time, no degree, no problem, nodegree.com. Yeah. So, you got no degree? No problem. No problem. Any problem? We can solve them. We got this. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving, growing and knowing. Wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. If you didn't know, now you know. Let's sing that again, everybody. No degree, no problem. Any problem, we can solve them. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving. We're growing in a knowing. The wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. No degree, no problem. Any problem, we can solve them. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving. We're growing in the knowing. The wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. Yeah.